Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. And so we, we did the part-time project, you know, we would work together to kind of build this and submit it to Apple. July of 2008, the App Store launched. It was a Thursday and the Bible app was in the first 200 free apps that were there the day that the App Store launched. And it totally blew our minds that it even made it into the store. You know, what really got our attention though was from Thursday to Sunday, we saw 83,000 people install it on their iPhones. And for us, that we just had no expectation of that. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy, joined as always with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Yo, what up? How's it going, man? I like that hat. Thank you. I I took a risk and I wore a hat inside the workplace. Maybe maybe I shouldn't have said that. It's Christmas time. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. It's Christmas time. So, you know, nobody's here, so I can get away with it or whatever. But we're excited to talk with Bobby Grunwald, who is pastor and innovation leader at Life.Church, a multi-site church based in Oklahoma. It's an incredible church. He is also the founder of this little thing that you might that you most definitely probably have on your phone, actually, <laughs> called the Uversion Bible app, which in December, and this is this is this is insane. Insane. This is insane. In December, it reached over four hundred million installs. I mean, it's incredible. I'm so excited to have Bobby on. I think it's gonna be a great podcast today. Yeah. Bobby, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I mean, I'm guessing you guys celebrated that four hundred million just a little bit. You know, we we did a little bit, but honestly, we we're not very good at celebrating things. So we need to, we need to do a little bit better job. But I think we'll we'll maybe save that for five hundred million. We'll have we'll have a big celebration. For I that. love that at Student Life Camp. Whenever we get a camp registration that comes in, we have a little trampoline and you jump for how many registrations. So I can get you know if you get like a fifty reg, we we jump fifty times. So I can only imagine four hundred million jumps. I, I don't know how long that would take. A few years maybe, but oh maybe that's something yeah. you guys should. Implement. Um, I uh, I'll I'll bring that suggestion to the team. I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, we would wear a couple trampolines out for sure. <laughs> That's incredible. That's funny. Well, Bobby, uh, before this interview, we were just googling uh, your name just a little bit, and the first keyword that came up after your name was Bobby Grunwald rapper. Can Can you tell <laughs> us a little bit about your rap career? <laughs> um. I was a Christian rapper a long time ago. So that I, uh, it's probably started, let's see, it would have been about 19, 1990, um, would have been the year that I became a Christian rapper. And, uh, it sounds crazy today when people know me and see me, but, um, you know, I did that for five years. It was never something I planned to do. What I tried to do is I actually became a follower of Jesus between my eighth and ninth grade year. And I wanted to figure out how to reach my friends and all of my friends listened to rap music. So I just thought maybe I should write a rap song and that's how it all started. That's awesome. uh, So I wrote a rap song and, and then it turned into a thing. We had a band and whole group of, I think we had 15 people that traveled with us, you know, between singers, dancers. Oh, wow. Oh my goodness. All this stuff. And we would travel pretty much all summer. And then, we did a lot of weekends during the school year, um, just different camps and conferences, and, and pretty much anybody that would let us rap, we would go <laughs> and, uh, and perform. But it created a, an, an amazing experience, particularly looking back on it, leadership-wise. It was actually a, 
a, a huge experience um, to be able to kind of manage and lead that um, because it had a lot of challenges to it. But um, but it was also it was a cool thing that God used. And I thought um, I, I actually thought during those five years that that must be like you know what I'm called to do. Mm. I must, must be what I'm supposed to do is to be either music ministry, a pastor, something kind of in that vein, um, just because God seemed to really be blessing it. And that was, um, anyway, it was good. So 1990 to 1995, I was a Christian rapper. What was your stage name? My stage name was Rob G. Rob G. <laughs> Rob G. <laughs> so it's good. Pre- pretty simple. Yeah, Rob G. So awesome. Well, just, just even hearing that, we know that your story has a lot of uh, different twists and turns in it. And I was, we were sharing just a little bit before we hit record. Uh, I was actually at a conference where I get to, got to hear you speak and share a little bit of your story of how kind of the Bible app came to be. And I told Josh immediately, I was like, man, we have got to get Bobby on the podcast just to be able to share this awesome story of how the version Bible app came to be, kind of the different uh, areas that you led in and served in and just how God really lined up your path for that. So can you just walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years that led to where you are today? Sure. Um, so I already mentioned the Christian rap thing. And uh, <laughs> Rob that, was, uh, that was the, uh, probably the first real leadership role I remember, um, you know, having, I'm, I may have had others before that, but that that's the first I remember. Um, and then when I went to college, I felt like I was really supposed to study business. I really felt like God was leading me to study business, specifically finance. And, um, and it was a difficult decision because so many people in my life, youth pastor and others kind of really, I think felt like I was you know, called a ministry in a more traditional sense, you know, so be a religion major, go through kind of a traditional kind of denominational path, you know, into being a pastor. Um, But I felt like I was supposed to study business. So I did. And while I was in college, I took a job at a, um, at a car dealership. Um, It was a, just a $6 an hour job for date money. It was a really boring (laughs) back office job that I would get finished with all the work and have nothing to do. So I'd start listening in on conversations. And one of the conversations I listened in on was a, a group proposing to the, to the dealer, to the, the owner of the company to build a website for them. And this is back in 1995. And I remember them saying that they would build the website for $2,200. And so when the owner walked out of the meeting, I walked up to him and, and I said, you know, Mr. Bailey, if you'll let me build a website for you, I'll do it for $100. And so he, you know, he looked at me and was like, sure, you know, like, as if like, I don't even know who this guy is, you know, that works for us, but if he'll do it for a hundred bucks, why not? Wow. So, so I, I built a web, I didn't know how to build a website. That was kind of the problem. Um, <laughs> hey, I can do it for I, you. I've never I, done I, it though. No, I had no idea how to do it. I mean, there's no books on building websites back then or online courses. Like or Google anything. wasn't even big then. No, so. Google didn't, Google didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. Oh no. Yahoo and a mosaic browser I mean, this is like <laughs> stuff that you guys don't even you guys even know what I'm talking about. But anyway, they, uh, so, uh, I found some friends that knew a little bit about it, um, that were really into kind of the like underground internet back in the day. And, um, so they, they showed me, pointed me in the direction. I built a website for them and, and I told them, I said, look, here's the website. They liked it. It was you know consistent with what they were looking at paying $2,200 for, but I said, you're not going to sell cars on the internet in 1995. It just doesn't, that's just not something people are going to purchase online. And I said, but I do think we could sell parts and accessories. So we 
uh, he, he, they agreed. And so I built a different website for them that was just focused on selling parts and accessories. And within a few months, we started selling about, it was several hundred thousand dollars of, of part sales on a monthly basis through this website. <laughs> Pretty good and ROI. hundred dollars for all of that. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And well, and they were paying me $6 an hour at that point to kind of keep this website going. So they were, <laughs> they were getting a pretty good bargain, yeah. but I actually really enjoyed it because it was a challenge. And, um, when the dealer called me into his office, the owner called me in his office one day and, and in the office, he said, um, what do you plan on doing in life? And before I had a chance to answer, he said, whatever it is that you're going to do, uh, I want to invest in it. Wow. And so I was, you know, pretty stunned by it. And, and I went, I didn't know how to respond, honestly. So I kind of went back um, to my dorm and really began to think about it and pray about it and say, God, is this kind of the direction that you want me to go? Because I was planning on going into investment banking. I kind of had like my own ideas about what a finance degree would lead to. Um, but here I had a chance to be an entrepreneur and I had an investor before I even had an idea, which is kind of a real backward you know, way to do it. But, but I, I really did feel like it was God's direction and this was an opportunity he was providing. So, so I thought about it, prayed about it, put together a business plan to start a web hosting company um, and, and Mr. Bailey and, and another friend of his became our two initial investors. And I, I got together a group of guys from the university that I was at that were in different fields, like some were from IT and some were from the business area and sort of formed this company, uh, not sort of, we did form this company and started in our dorm room and, and, you know, end up having, um, an office on the top floor of one of the towers downtown, um, in Oklahoma city where we're at. And so it was, it was one of these kind of crazy startup stories and first customers from Germany and had customers from 33 countries. It grew really rapidly and we had no idea what we were doing. Um, but that was, you know, my entry into kind of the entrepreneurial space. Such a cool story. uh, Yeah. And so then it went on, we sold the company, started another company that was, uh, in a, a, still in a tech related area. Um, and, and it was actually uh, the largest uh, professional wrestling website um, back, <laughs> back in 1998. I know this is the most eclectic story uh, ever, but from rapping to web hosting to, to pro wrestling. But, I'm, just, um, I'm just confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it was confusing to me too. But it, at the same time, we, uh, God kind of has this unique way of, of weaving together these experiences that'll make sense here in a, in a yeah. minute. But um but at the time, you know, it, it, it kind of didn't make a lot of sense. It was a, it was a business opportunity and we, we grew this online community and we sold it in December of 1999 to a company that Goldman Sachs took public. And it was, um, you know, one of those moments where I'm, I'm 23 years old. I didn't grow up having, um, a lot of resources. I didn't come from a family that was, was wealthy. Um, but I found myself at 23 going, this must be what God created me to do because I've had favor, you know, in this space, I've had a couple of successful companies. I've, I now have more money than I ever anticipated I'd ever have. And I'm just, you know, you know, 23. Um, and I thought this, I'm probably designed to do this and, and just contribute resources to the kingdom through just through giving, you know, that must be like my ministry, you know, that I have. And, and instead, um, God had a different plan, just like, like you'll learn in my journey is I'm pretty much wrong every time at what I think I'm going to do. Right. <laughs> God always kind of redirects it. Um, and I had, when we sold the company, there was an article that came out in the newspaper and the executive pastor at our church, which was Life Church, 
Um, we loved our church. It was a, 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 a young, you know, new church in, in the area here in Oklahoma. And um, I was playing keyboard on the worship team and real, real invested serving in that capacity. Like every weekend, you know, my, and just very committed. And when the article came out in the newspaper, it had my picture in it and the executive pastor saw it and said, isn't that the guy that plays keyboard on the worship team? <laughs> and, and the wor- well, the worship leader uh, said, hey, you know, Pastor Jerry would love to go to lunch with you. And so, of course, I go to lunch with him and we'd never been to lunch together before. I, I presumed at the time it was to help me calculate what 10% was on the sale of the company. Yeah. <laughs> since they had uh, the, it all like written out in the newspaper, you know, like what the valuation, all these things were. So we saw I, the article. We need to talk yeah, about giving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, but I was obviously happy to give, that was never going to be an issue. Yeah. Um, I was excited to give, but the, instead of talking about that, what he really wanted to talk about though, was what I planned on doing next. And if I'd ever considered using what I was learning in business and those experiences around technology specifically, if I'd ever considered using those in the church, like as like a staff position. And Mm. of course I had never thought of that and I'm an idea person. And ironically I'd been, I, I, I was so close to the ministry yet. I had no idea that what I did, you know, in business had application, you know, in, in, in ministry at least not direct application. Hmm. And so he, uh, he asked if I would consider it. And I said no to that too. Um, <laughs> mainly cause I love my church and I thought if it became my job that I wouldn't love it anymore. And so I instead decided to volunteer and I volunteered, you know, 10 hours a week, then it turned to 20 and 30 and 40. So over the course of a year, I basically became uh, close to a full-time volunteer. <laughs> and, um, and, and I realized though, over that time that, um, once again, this was one of those moments where I was wrong at anticipating what I was supposed to do in life and that God was actually preparing me for a unique role in the church. I didn't even know what the role was. I just knew that's where I was supposed to be. So I asked if he would, uh, they would please give me another opportunity, even though I turned them down uh, on the first opportunity uh, <laughs> to come on staff. And that was in July of 2001. And, uh, and that's when I joined staff at Life Church full time and stepped out of kind of that, um, that external entrepreneurial, you know, running business career. And so anyway, so at the church, this is a long answer to your short question. I apologize. No, this is great. At the church, we, um, my first official title, which came like a year after I started, I think was, uh, the new campus development leader. So I was involved in starting our first seven locations, just kind of all the, the, the zero to 60 mile an hour phase, you know, of those seven campuses. And then, um, which fit kind of my personality around startups and kind of the intensity of like taking a blank slate, you know, and starting from nothing, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of fit who I was. Uh, and in 2006, it became kind of a real pivotal year. Um, I, I, before that somewhere in the, maybe 2002, 2003, I'd kind of joined what we call our directional leadership team here at the church. So there's, Today, there's four of us that kind of form the leadership team of the church, Pastor Craig, myself, and two others. Um, back then, it was five people. And, um, and so I'd been on that team, and I, and I began to talk to the team about how, um, uh, you know, I, I really felt like there's a vision birthing inside of me around the missional use of technology, where we were using technology just to kind of facilitate the growth of the church. Um, but we weren't really thinking about it, like how we as a church, like 
use it to reach the world, if that makes sense. It was more like we used it to, you know, be able to do video teaching or to be able to um, help with the sort of presentation of our worship experiences Mm -hmm. or, you know, we had those kinds of technology uses. Um, Perhaps our staff, you know, we obviously had computers and, and phones and those kinds of things, but but we weren't really thinking about like, how do we reach somebody in Pakistan, mm. you know, or how do we reach somebody on the other side of the world? So, so these ideas begin to emerge um, and vision for it. And our team, our leadership team has been very, was obviously very supportive and receptive to it. And we, we started um, giving away our, all of our intellectual property for free. So any resource we had, videographic curriculum, and we developed, we would distribute it digitally. And that launched in 2006. We started Church Online right around the same time in 2006, which is a, um, basically an effort to build community online uh, and not just connect people to content, but connect t- people to each other. And so that was inspired uh, by the pro wrestling website experience. <laughs> it all I saw comes there. back to yeah, that. Yeah, it all comes back to that. And then, uh, and then later that year in October of 2006, I was in the O'Hare Airport in Chicago at a long um, TSA security line. And there in the line that day, I was sitting there thinking about, I wonder if there's a way to use technology and kind of the tools we have today to help me more consistently connect with scripture because Mm. I was below average uh, in my Bible engagement and didn't desire to be that, but just that was the reality. So there in the security line that day in the airport, um, the idea for for what's known as Uversion came um, initially it was for a website, not for an app. Um, back in 2006, there really weren't apps, at least not the way we understand that today. And, um, and so the originally it was for a website and the website through a whole bunch of challenges ended up launching in 2007, but it <laughs> failed. It just simply didn't engage me, um, our team or, or others with scripture more effectively. Hmm. So we are not afraid to fail. We, try to learn from the failures and in the process of discover, like processing why it failed and getting ready to shut it down. Something um, big happened. <laughs> yeah. We just, we discovered that, um, well, we really felt, we realized we were using our blackberries all the time. And so we thought, what if we just redesigned it, um, to work on a blackberry because we, you know, we're, we're not even by our computers uh-huh. we built the thing for computers. So we, it was super simple. Um, some people today don't even know what a BlackBerry is, but a BlackBerry <laughs> was really, really basic, but yet effective smartphone at the time. Yeah, I used to have one. And, um, and it displayed just a few lines of text on the screen, but we found ourselves naturally engaging with scripture. We could see the traffic going up to the website from people using Blackberries, and we kind of could tell there's some momentum building. So um, that was going on in the backdrop, and then Steve Jobs announced in early 2008 that they're going to make it possible to develop apps for the iPhone create the app store ding, ding, ding. Ding. <laughs> happening. You know, we, we thought let's try to build a Bible app. Um, we found a 19 year old on our team that loved Apple. Those are the only kind of requirements you had to have back then to build an app because <laughs> no, one, no, no one knew how to do it. Um, and so we, we did as a part-time project, you know, we would work together to kind of build this and submit it to Apple July of 2008, the app store launched. It was a Thursday and the Bible app was in the first 200 free apps that were there the day that the app store launched. Wow. And it totally blew our minds that it even made it into the store. Yeah. It also blew our minds that, um, that there are only 200 apps. I mean, we kind of presumed there'd be a lot more than that. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, what really got our attention though was from Thursday to Sunday, we saw 83,000 people install it. 
on their iPhones. And for us, that we just had no expectation of that. I mean, like, no, I mean, if you would have tried to get me to give you a number, I might have. I might have thought eighty-three thousand would have been like a huge goal for a year, you know, or something to, to reach. And here we had it in like in three days. And so we we pay attention when we see God move and do things unexpected. And so we quickly aligned whatever resources we could find, you know, to kind of put behind this. <laughs> this and is working. That, Let's put everything there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and and every yeah exactly. But I, I told that nineteen year old, I was like, whatever you're working on stop it and let's work on this, you know? So I think he was working on a camp registration website or so, who knows what he was working yep, been on at the time. But, um, but we, we basically quickly aligned our resources. And, um, and so then we've been on a journey for, you know, 11 and a half, 12 years now, uh, since that point. And God's put together this huge coalition of partners. Obviously you, you mentioned the number of installs. It's grown from 83,000 to over 400 million. Mm. Um, and that, I mean, it real, there's really no way to kind of tell the story in a short version. That gives you kind of at least the pieces that help you understand the beginnings of it. But the journey we've been on has been an incredible uh, ride to see how God's using it and continuing to use it in a significant way today. No, it's a, it was a, it's a really interesting story. And thanks for sharing all that. I remember the day I downloaded it in 2009. So I, I was probably about a year after it was released or whatever. That, but veteran. That's veteran stuff. That's what I feel. I know. I'm like, hey, I've been around for a while with, with this Bible app. but Early adopter. Chandler and I were talking beforehand, and I, I was thinking, you know what? I don't know if I ever pick up, and sorry if this offends anybody, but if I ever pick up a physical Bible anymore to read. <laughs> for a physical Bible I, publishing company. Yeah. I, it's kind of crazy. Oh, like I, I'm thinking through like in my yeah. devotions in the morning to my iPad, the Bible app on yeah. my phone. One of the things I've loved the most, and I'm sure you've heard this feedback before too, Bobby, but when when I can't recall like a scripture or a verse, especially like in um, evangelism moments or whatever you want to call it, mentorship moments where I can't recall something, it's so easy to go find that on the Bible app and just thinking like back in the day, you got to get the old Bible and have it all Bi- memorized. Bible drill. Or, yeah, like Bible drill, whatever, but it, it really is such an incredibly God- um, God inspired things. So thanks for all the hard work you've done on that over the years. Well, we we're very humbled to be a part of it. And it's exactly what you said. It's totally a God thing. Um, it's not an us thing. We, we feel like we're stewards of something that yep. has entrusted us to steward, but not, not owners, you know, um, mm. it's, it's not ours, it's his. And that's how we want to keep it positioned and, and, and pray that he continues to use it in a significant way. Um, we are, our, our faith has certainly grown to believe that there's a lot more that's possible. Um, a lot, a lot more faith than I had, than I had in the airport that day. Mm, mm. Hey, we're, we are God's middleman and it's totally good. <laughs> so one, one thing you were talking about, Bobby, just even thinking about your time at the dealership, uh, I thought of a Kerry Newhoff, he posted on social media the other day. He said, my advice to young leaders is this, don't wait for someone to ask you to solve a problem, start tackling it. And that came to mind as soon as you said, hey, there's this offer for $2,200 to build a website and you stepped up and you said, I can can try to knock that out. And it's the idea of as a young leader saying, I'm going to take initiative to to be able to help in these situations. So I just wanted to point that out. I thought that's a great uh, learning moment there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I find that asking, like having questions that you ask repeatedly as a leader, it really helps to kind of drive that. So for, you know, as long back, as long as I can remember, as it relates to kind of the technology in the world we live in, every time there's something new that's coming out or comes out, I mean, my first question right now is like, is there a way, what's a way we could leverage that for ministry? Mm. Is there a way that that could, you know, help us better fulfill our mission? 
I think sometimes people try to form conclusions really quickly about new things, and I try to ask questions. And I think that that t- tends to lead us um, into some of these types of ideas. Like, you know, it helps us realize there's problems that we could solve with this. There's a way this could help solve it. But I think that's great advice that Kerry gave. That's uh, I'm reading. I just finished a book called Red Zone, Blue Zone. I don't know if you've um, read that or heard of it, but it's about conflict management and different things. And they say the ultimate. Um, thing that a leader can do for his or her team is not to find the answer, but find the very best question. Like mm. when you're in conflict, it's not about getting to solutions. It's actually about getting to the right questions. Um, That's great. So super helpful. Let's go to the next question here though. Speaking of questions, <laughs> I, I just set myself up for <laughs> a great transition. Didn't even realize it. It. Yeah. What was your biggest mistake as a leader getting started? So you took us through a big history of your background. If you can get to one moment or one thing that happened that you're like, man, I look back on that and that was pretty pivotal, a pivotal mistake to put me in the right direction. What would that be? Um, it's a great question. Um, I always struggle with the biggest um, questions because <laughs> there's like a lot of mistakes sure. um, that happen along the way. Um, you know, I, um, I would say that my first, when we had our first company um, back when I was, you know, an entrepreneur, I, I kind of sort of had this diff, this sort of illusion of leadership that, um, that, you know, if I just simply worked harder than everybody that made me the leader. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so I kind of organized, put everything together, but I didn't really want there to be any kind of hierarchy to it. I didn't want, I didn't want to define myself as the leader. It was kind of really weird. I don't know how to explain it, but I just didn't think that structure mattered, you know, whatsoever. Yeah. Um, to it. And, and so I kind of approached it that way and it became really, really messy, really, really quick, um, and really confusing. You know, so I just wasn't clear, you know, about things. And, um, and that came kind of to a head, um, uh, where I had one of the guys I brought in and, and, um, uh, that was one of the partners, you know, and I made everybody equal owners, which by the way, is a mistake. You know, you shouldn't like bring a bunch of friends in. So we're all going to have equal ownership in this mm-hmm. because everybody doesn't have equal contribution and they won't, you know, and mm-hmm. they, they won't have that kind of commitment, but it seemed like the right thing to do. And I remember, um, one time someone, they walked in, they saw that we had a Pitney Bowes machine. I don't even know if you, if you know what a Pitney Bowes machine is. It's like Prince postage, you know? <laughs> okay. Um, and, and we had this because we had so many invoices we were sending out. It was going well, but we, we were like tired of like licking, you know, envelopes <laughs> and stamps and things, you know? So we yeah. bought this. It was like, it was like $30 a month, you know, to have a Pitney Bowes machine. And this guy, guy comes in, he's one of our partners and he's like, who decided that? I oh, wow. Like, well, I, I did. Um, and he was like, well, what makes you think you have the right to, to, to do that? I, was like, I, don't, I don't know. Cause I'm, I'm uh, I was president. tired of licking stamps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm the president, you know, is why, you know, <laughs> I didn't know. I was like, I'm confused, like even by the question, you know? And, uh, but he's like, well, don't you think we should take a vote, you know, mm. to do it? And I said, uh, honestly, I don't think we should take a vote for a $30 purchase, you know, for a Pitney Bowes machine. And, and then he's like, well, what, what, I didn't think that you were really the president. I thought that was just a title way to put down on the papers, on the corporate mm. papers, you know, and cause I, in fairness, I'd kind of let it that way, you yeah. know, like, like, like I was. And, and so it became this realization that, you know, like I, I've got to actually can't just work hard, you know, I actually have to lead, you know, in the process. And, um, that may not seem like a big failure, a big mistake, but it did lead to a whole set of problems, you know, in that first company that we had. And I was just young and, and pretty naive. 
But we did take a vote after that. And the vote was, who's the president? Um, because <laughs> that's what, I, what I wanted to do was make sure that we needed to kind of clear up any ambiguity and Absolutely. make sure we, we weren't spending sideways energy, you know, as a team on things that didn't matter. Um, yeah. But rather saying, guys, we got to have some ability to make decisions and we can't have this thing be something where we're voting on everything. It's just way too cumbersome, you know, for what we need. And so we need to put in some some processes and, and, and some structure to it. So, um, you know, I think um, I, I, I've also made tons of mistakes where I sort of felt like everything was up to me. Yeah. And I, had, I really struggled um, to transition from a leader that did everything or felt like I needed to do everything, felt like I needed to know everything to a leader that really recognized mm. um, the value of, of, of true leadership of a team you yeah. know, that actually brings those attributes to the table. Um, that, that was not a, an instant moment, I think, where I realized it, but it was certainly over the course of time, I just started to realize I was doing more damage than I was helping um, by trying to stay attached to things um, that I was attached to. And, and it's mm. difficult, especially when you're an entrepreneur, because you kind of have quite a bit of your, your, your own ideation you know, wrapped up in the vision. Yeah. And, uh, and I had to kind of separate that, you know, from myself. So I don't know if there's a great answer to your question, no, but there's just a couple that jump to mind that go way back early. That's really helpful. I was actually talking with somebody about this the other day about how you go from being the one that does all the tasks to have your hands in everything, you want to do everything, and then all of a sudden you have a team that you've got to lead through. And it changes from doing the task, being the one that does everything, to figuring out kind of what you were saying, you can work really hard, but if you just keep working really hard and not leading the people around you and working yep. through them, it's ineffective. So I think that's a yep. very helpful reminder. Yep. Bobby, when hearing your story, I mean, you've said it over and over again, you definitely have an entrepreneurial mind uh, in the way you do things, which I, I love. And the YouVersion app started simply as an idea that you had, and <laughs> you went to a 19-year-old and said, hey, let's, let's start this app. And it's now impacting millions across the world. So what advice would you give a young Christian leader who feels called into the business space as an entrepreneur, as a creator? Yeah, I would... Um First of all, I think the key phrase, a key word that you had in that question is the word called. Hmm. Um, I think a lot of times, uh, you know, people sort of have their perception about what ministry is or what real ministry is. And my point of view is that, you know, it's real ministry if you are wherever God has called you to be, yeah. whatever that is. So I think it, sometimes there are people that, uh, that are in the business world. Um, and of course, I was, I was there in the business world myself. Um, I, I particularly felt like God called me into this space in the church, but not because I felt like that church was where real ministry was and business wasn't. Um, but, but just the opposite is that someone's called to the business world. Um, I believe that that is their frontline ministry, mm. that it's just as important as what it means to be a pastor. It's just as important as it is to be a missionary. And I think if people kind of embody and embrace that calling that way, it really reframes sort of how you think about what you're doing, how you think about how you lead um, and the people that you're leading, because this is like sort of God's mission field for you. It's where you're supposed to be. What great, you're supposed to great be distinction. Um, yeah. And I, so one is I'd make sure people understand that, you know, that, that, that there's no calling that's any greater than someone else's calling. Um, and then, you know, I, I would, I'd also say that God has these unique ways of, um, of, of leveraging that for his purposes. And I'm, I think back specifically to Mr. Bailey at the car dealership in my story, um, Steve Bailey was a Christian businessman that I know a hundred percent is a guy that has honored God in everything that he did. Mm. And, and Mr. Bailey probably had no idea at the time that he 
that he was, you know, basically offering to invest in whatever it was that I was going to do, that that decision and that investment in me as a person ultimately is, is something that led to the path that, that how the Universion Bible app got created. So Mr. Bailey has a legacy that he contributed to that God used to connect, you know, millions and millions of people with his word um, because he, you know, used that opportunity to invest in someone else in his position. I just, it, it's those types of stories that you just don't even realize the type of impact that you can have in the business world, you know, on other people um, and, and just in how you can develop them and their kind of course in life. And so, um, so I, I, I also wouldn't, get too caught up on the destination though, too, because mm. I look back and realize all the different that places if, that God placed yeah, you. If I, yeah. I, I, some people ask what advice would I give to the 20 year old version of me? You know, if I could go back and tell them, and I've thought about that and I, my answer is always the same. I would say absolutely nothing to mm. the 20 year old version oh, of me wow. if I had a chance to go back and talk because I know that if I, if the 20 year old version of me knew what was ahead, like what I'd be doing today, the 20 year old version of me would have messed it all up. Yeah, found a way to beef it <laughs> up. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I know myself back up. when I was 20. Yeah, well, because you want to cut right to the end. You know, yeah. if I know I'm supposed to do this, I want to jump right to it. But, but every part of the journey, even the parts that I regret, God used those, you know, to kind of shape what we do today. And, and I think sometimes, you know, people miss out on that, that perspective and realize that even those, those kind of, heavy times that just are difficult to get through or the difficult decisions that have to be made, um, that those are, are life shaping things that God can use in a really significant way to do amazing things, you know, going forward. So not to, I wouldn't get discouraged if you're in the middle of one of those times. Um, it may seem in my journey, cause I tell the story in 15 minutes or whatever, that it was just sort of up and to the right, you know, from the beginning. But I mean, as an entrepreneur, there was a season where we ran out of cash and I had to ask everybody to work without pay and wow. it didn't look, didn't look like we were going to make it. Um, I had uh, battles with our investors, not the, not Mr. Bailey and them, but the second group that we brought in for the next second company. And, and, you know, just all these things that were um, huge felt like huge challenges to me. I was a lot of weight that I was carrying, but God used each of those to shape me and make me a better leader through it. And then today, but, but if I would have known where the destination was going, I mean, I would have been trying to find Craig Groeschel and figure, tell him that I needed a job. <laughs> Looking for a guy named Craig. Happen, <laughs> this is going to happen one day, you know, yeah, on, yeah. on, on, on. But, um, but God needed me, I think really need to position me in all those places to do that. So, so yeah. anyway, I, I, I there, there's a lot of, of, of advice I'd give, but when it comes to actually, um, giving advice to myself, I probably would have said nothing. I, th I think that's so great. And you said not to skip over those moments and you don't want to hit fast forward because they yeah. all, you know, worked to where you are today. So thank you for that answer. Well, now we're going to move to the quick hitter questions, the quick hitters, and these are just short one minute answers. So we'll get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, exercise, all that good stuff? Yep. So I wake up at 4.15 in the morning. I um, usually read for, I mean, I have breakfast and read for like um, about an hour. It's not always an hour, but close to an hour. So it's uh, some um, Bible reading time and some reading of like articles, you know, um, mm -hmm. it could be just different topics, but um, I usually read there in the morning. And then, um, then I go work out. Um, about five thirty ish, and 
I'll work out usually till um, 6, 15, so about 45 minutes. Sometimes I get there at 545, but my workouts are usually short and to the point. You know, they're not super long. And then, um, then I come back home and I uh, get ready. I get the kids ready. Depends on the day of the week, but I take my two youngest kids to school. I've got four kids all together. The two oldest go on a bus. And um, my wife and I kind of rotate who takes them based on the day and what's going on. And then I'm into the office by usually my first meetings at 830. I'm sometimes in before that. Um, and then it's uh, if I'm in town, you know, then it's a full day home at 530 or six. And um, and then it's dinner and and then in the evening, it's just various things. Sometimes there's activities with kids. Yeah. There's events going on. There's um, we watch some TV. There's just different things that happen in the evening. And usually to bed by 9.30 or 10. I used to be a night person. I would stay up to like 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. every mm. night. Mm. But I flipped to a morning routine when wow. I got serious about my health. And it was just a hardcore switch. Like I just yeah. literally said, okay, 4 a.m., 4.15. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. It. And I built like really strong, that really strong discipline around it. My personality type I found for me, I like to have my day go from more tightly structured to less structured as the day goes mm, on like yeah. by design. So my mornings are more tightly packed, meetings tight back to back to back. And then I like to have more looser flexibility towards the end of the day. And that just really fits my personality well. It fits like how I think um, a bit better. But so I, I like start that. Like a, yeah, I totally tend to to go better that way. I totally relate to that too. It's like, let me give you my best in the morning because as the afternoon wanes on, I, they call it two o'clock Josh. Two o'clock Josh <laughs> just starts dancing and acting <laughs> silly and oh. no, not a lot of critical thought is happening anymore <laughs> around that's, that time. That's funny. That's uh, funny. Ne- next question, what is your favorite app on your phone? <laughs> this is a softball. You guys, I'm not even going to answer that question. That's a dumb, that's a dumb question. Well, so. what about Bible Lens? Where is is that number two favorite now? It's the Bible app for kids, of course. That's oh, there you go. App on my phone, so <laughs> Bible app for kids. <laughs> so I love good. it. Yeah. Well, here's the last question for you. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time? Um, you might not be able to see. Um, how you'll get to the end, but you mm. don't have to know all of that to be able to take the first step and just trust that God's going to provide the resources and the, um, the knowledge that you need to be able to accomplish it. So just take the first step and go one step at a time. Love that. Bobby, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey and your time as a young leader. And thank you for listening today. If you have not, which I highly doubt it, go download the Bible app. I'm pretty sure 100% probably already have it. We hope that this has been helpful to you and your leadership. And if it has, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review to help other leaders like yourself find the podcast. Download the Bible app, CSB version. CSB version. And you know what? Go buy a physical copy of the Bible. Yeah, it's good good too. Yeah, Yeah. CSB, CSB. See you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye.